0: Hello, I'm Christine Malika, PhD, and this is Interview with a Therapist. I'm a licensed psychologist, and each episode I will be asking 10 questions to a professional in the field of mental health. Please note, in order to protect current or former clients' privacy in accordance with HIPAA and confidentiality laws, all identifying information has been changed. Hello and welcome to interview with a therapist. Dr. Danielle Hadid de da Silva is a licensed psychologist who specializes in mindfulness-based stress reduction, hypnotherapy, and family medical illness. Dr. Hadid de Silva has a small private practice and primarily teaches online. She currently teaches in the graduate psychology program at Purdue University Global and will soon be starting teaching with Yorkville University in Canada. Dr. Hadid De Silva and I know each other from our University of Miami days when we were fellow students in the Counseling Psychology PhD program. Welcome, Dr. Hadid De Silva. How are you today?
1: I'm good, Christine. How are you doing?
0: I am doing great. Uh, As I mentioned on a previous episode, we are in the middle of a blizzard here, and I believe I'm speaking to you from the sunny land of Miami.
1: Yes, I am in Florida. It's not so sunny today. It is cloudy. (laughs)
0: Oh, well, it is a a full on blizzard here. So I'm going to live vicariously through you and imagine myself back in (laughs) Miami, the land of of paradise. So (laughs) absolutely, I hear you. Well, it is a pleasure to have you today. And let's talk. Which psychologist or figure in the field do you most admire?
1: I would have to say um, Martin Seligman, who is considered the father of positive psychology and for many reasons, primarily a lot of what he talked about and researched on and then implemented in terms of the work that we do really resonated with me personally. And I realized resonated with what I was doing professionally with my clients. Everything from his focus on gratitude and utilizing an individual's unique inner strength, using mindfulness, favoring experiences, all of these were just from focusing on mental illness and the negative aspects of mental illness, and the work that we do as psychologists. It really was more of a focus on the positives and things that every layman, his son can understand. Being grateful, trying to be grounded, you know, understanding what their strengths are, and ultimately finding purpose and creating um, skills in order to deal with the hardships of life and, and all the challenges that we're faced with.
0: Yes, he's really had a big impact the past 10, 15 mm-hmm. years on mm-hmm. moving psychology to a new area. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, which case will you never forget?
1: I had to I had to give this question some thought. I've had a lot of doozies in my time. Um, I would have to say that the one that stuck with me for a lot of reasons is uh, a young woman. She was a young mother. And she acknowledged to me in our first session together that she had been thinking of uh, committing suicide. And when I investigated further, she shared with me that she was thinking of driving her car off of the highway. And if you remember from your days here in Florida, the highways... um, how they are structured is that there's sort of an uh, an elevation and then an embankment that goes down to a lake. Mm-hmm. And she said that her plan was on the way here, well, on the way to see me, and/or on the way home, depending on how the session went. No pressure, of course, that she was going to to do this. And so I felt that she was someone who needed to be um, involuntarily hospitalized based on all of these red flags, and I requested that the psychiatrist also evaluated her because I worked in a setting where there was a a psychiatrist on staff. And he evaluated her, and he felt that um, he agreed with my evaluation that she should be hospitalized. And in the process of him coming out to to tell me this, she exited his office and exited the center where we were located and took off. And Mm. in my naivety, I ran after her. I ran after this client out into the open, around a corner, through a parking lot, and I was asked recently when I shared this with a student, um, why did you do it, Dr. Dean? I said, all I could think of was her kids at home and um, doing everything that I could that was in my power to stop her and to protect her and to keep her alive. And so would I do the same thing again? Yes, I probably would. Um, I think I have more to lose now because I have my own family and my own kids. Mm-hmm. But that even more so would motivate me to try to help moms and, and mothers who are struggling. And God knows there's so much that we are challenged by as women, as mothers, as professionals. So mm-hmm. it was a case that I, I always think about this this woman. She's probably 20 years older now, no longer a young mom. But certainly I wonder how she fared and um, whether she was able to overcome what I believe was postpartum depression at the mm. time. Now, did you and catch her in the
0: parking lot?
1: I did. I caught her. I was able to convince her to come back. She did come back with me. She was hospitalized. And she did return after the hospitalization to continue counseling with me.
0: Oh, that's that's so, so great that you were able to work through that uh, potential was. rupture in the relationship.
1: Yes, because, as you know, when you're... Uh, evaluate someone and realize that they need to be hospitalized, it can really do damage to the therapeutic relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the time I was a novice. And so I was really nervous about how she would respond, how she would come back, if she would, whether she would stay. And I would say I saw her post her hospitalization for maybe six to eight sessions. So we did some good work together. But again, she always crosses my mind and and I wonder how she's doing.
0: Sure. Wow. Yeah, that is a, that's a significant one.
1: Yes. What is the
0: most frustrating thing about your job?
1: I would say two things. First is that the outcomes take a long time to happen for most clients, particularly if you're not uh, CBT-oriented or solution-focused. Um, you work with a client through time and over time, and, and maybe eventually there will be progress or there will be change, and you'll see some tangible outcomes. But for the most part, it's not, it's not a quick change. Um and so I think that can be frustrating but I think it's because of the orientation that I have, it's just part of the process and it's part of the process that I've accepted. The other thing that I find even more challenging is, you know, sometimes we have clients who don't show up or they terminate and you still think about them and you wonder how they're doing and there's no mechanism. Apart from that initial call when a client knows shows to check in and see if they want to reschedule, come back in, there really is is no continuing contact with them. And so there's so many cases where I wonder, how's this person doing? Are they still, you know, using the, the things we talked about, are they still implementing strategies and and there's no following clients into their future. Hopefully it's a future without you, because ultimately that's what we want them to do is to Build their skills and be able to cope with life challenges on their own and not need us. But it leaves that little bit of sort of uncertainty and knowing and, and wondering. There's no closure. So, you, lots
0: of times, correct. It, lots of our correct. cases don't go to a perfect termination.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. It leaves exactly.
0: It leaves you wondering. They just stop coming sometimes. So just stop coming.
1: And as much as you think, gosh, I wish they had stuck with the process. I could see the light at the end here. You can't convince them. You can't force them. It really is. There's so much agency that, that you want them to have and that's part of the agency that they develop is deciding this isn't for me or this is not the time or not the mm-hmm. person and mm-hmm. I don't want to do this at, at this moment. So we have to respect that. Right.
0: What do you consider your biggest professional success?
1: I have to say that I have thankfully, amazingly, um, achieved the things that I wanted to in my professional career. Um I have been uh, on TV interviews, I've done programs on TV, on the radio, I've been in print. So those kinds of tangible milestones I've been able to achieve, but there was also cases where I was able to see the client to the end and um, feeling that sense of, of success for them, knowing that they stuck it out, they stuck through the process and they were able to achieve what they wanted to achieve for me is the ultimate success in terms of being a psychologist and, and what I want to get out of my therapeutic relationship. Mm. Okay.
0: How does being a psychologist affect your home life? Oh my gosh. So my
1: husband would tell you, but he always knows when I've had a tough case because mm-hmm. i come out of session and I will either complain or, you know, just act just out of my mind spastic. Um and I think it is because um, when I encounter a client who is um, really tough or really struggling or dealing with a major trauma or a major crisis, it makes me feel very grateful for the life that I have. Um, And it gives me perspective and it helps me to realize that, you know, even if I'm struggling with something personally or professionally, but there are people who are dealing with, with different issues, bigger issues. And, um, I take a lot of it to heart because it's just the kind of person that I am, and I take it on a lot, and I've had to work very hard through my career to maintain that boundary, and um, not a wall, because I don't I don't believe in walls, but certainly knowing how I could help them, but how I needed to also take care of myself in the process.
0: That actually is a great lead-in to the next question, which is, how do you deal with burnout and or vicarious traumatization?
1: Lots of self-care. Lots of self-care. And I preach this to my students all the time. And I try to help them think about from early on in their academic life, what can they do to take care of themselves. So I, I meditate daily. I walk. I do yoga. I garden. Um, <laughs> just the simple act of putting my, my bare feet in the grass and closing my eyes and listening to the breeze and feeling the sun on my skin really soothes my soul. And re-energizes me quite literally. And so I try to do all of those things that I can every day. Obviously, I'm not always successful in doing each one. Um, but I do try to at least do um, two of those things on a daily basis, even on weekends when I'm not teaching actively or seeing clients, just to make sure that I stay on track personally and mm-hmm. feed my soul and fill my cup. Because unless I do that, I can't, I can't be effective as a professional, as a mom, as a wife. And as, just as a human being.
0: Sure, sure. What What is something you remember learning from a patient?
1: Resilience. I would have to say, even with the toughest clients who dealt with the most difficult of circumstances, um, it was always their resiliency that peaked out through the cloud. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, it's something that I would always try to build on especially with clients who didn't immediately seem to have that resilience trying to help them even understand what that concept was and, and help them to develop that. But just, you know, our clients come to us and they are, they're scared and they're anxious. And sometimes we're the last line of defense. Um, and I can see that it's not an easy thing for them to be sitting across from us, but just the fact that they're there tells me that they want to change and that there's hope for them and hope within them to change, and that they're they're willing and wanting to pick up the pieces and just keep going, which to me is what resilience is all about.
0: Yes, I agree. I, I a lot of um, times in these podcasts, uh, therapists have mentioned, wow, the strength and resilience of who's coming to see mm-hmm. us. And, and I totally agree that it's almost the strongest people who come in to be vulnerable and yeah. talk to oh, us. Oh, that's
1: a great way to put it. You Absolutely. Know? That's and vulnerability. If, is just key
0: yeah so i agree um if you weren't a psychologist what career do you think you would be <laughs>
1: um i love this question because i think about it often um i mm-hmm. think about if i wasn't doing this what i'd be doing um i love i love the job of nail tech. i love mm-hmm. that they get to sit there and make people beautiful um and how people who can't necessarily be creative express their creativity through their nails mm-hmm. um So I think that's something that I I could see myself doing. But ultimately, I think it would be something creative. So having an Etsy shop and making wreaths and scrapbooks and picture frames. um, I can't paint to save my life. In my head, I can. (laughs) When it comes to the canvas, it just doesn't look right. Um, But I've certainly found a creative niche through um, crafting and making wreaths and uh, teaching others to do that. I actually spent the morning teaching my sister-in-law mm. how to, to make wreaths, and she did two beautiful Valentine's series. So that was fun to share that with her. Well, now I'm going to be
0: disappointed if you don't have an Etsy shop.
1: <laughs> I, I will tell you a secret I did for a while. Um, and it just, you know, with everything going on with my kids and um, being homeschooled because of the pandemic and uh, teaching more courses, and it just, I haven't been able to keep it up, but um, but it is something I have had in the past. Maybe you can. <laughs> oh, that's great.
0: Uh, if you could make <laughs> one change to the field of psychotherapy, what would it be and why?
1: So the change that I think is important, it doesn't necessarily have to do with what we do with our clients, but what, what we do with each other as therapists, as psychologists, as counselors. Mm-hmm. I think there is a tendency for us to compete with each other um, for our stripes, uh, for our niche. And you know, the reality, Christina, is that there's such a need out there. There's so many people who, whether they're hurting or in crisis, or they just want to improve their lives, there's so much work out there. We don't have to compete with each other and tear each other down. And so I think the change that I wish to see is that we could be more supportive of each other as professionals, mentor each other, um, share resources with each other. Um, I I have several colleagues who I do peer consultation with. Um, several colleagues who continue to be mentors to me, and so I think if we could just provide that for each other, that we would be a much stronger profession, professional body, and um, professionals within ourselves.
0: Hmm. Have you found there to be problems with? people be competitive as opposed to mentoring or people not sharing um, resources?
1: Yes, unfortunately I've I've encountered a couple of people who they're very territorial and they want to protect what they have and what they're doing and um, they don't want to talk about it and that always blows my mind and in that way I have to say I I love that you're doing this podcast because I think on the one hand obviously it's achieving your goal of destigmatizing what we do and who we are but I think it's also allowing us to connect with each other mm-hmm. as professionals and you know share about what works for us and I think that can only really help us as professionals be better and do our jobs better to help our clients.
0: Yeah so to understand that you know our experiences aren't that different we we absolutely. all have sort of similar experiences at times as therapists doing what we mm-hmm. do.
1: So Yeah absolutely.
0: Do you follow any religious or spiritual
1: path? So I I am a practicing Catholic, um, but I would say that my my spiritual life takes precedence for me. I'm not someone who necessarily gets to church every week, especially these days. Mm -hmm. But I certainly, um, I believe in the universe, and I believe that there is purpose in all things, and that um, everything is unfolding as it should. So I, I definitely... Turn to my spiritual life or, or feel my spiritual life as something that's very alive for me. And, um, I talk to gratitude and meditation. And as I said, finding purpose even in the, the challenging times or negative experiences. So I think it's, it's really important for us as, um, professionals and, and I would say even as human beings to, have something, anything that is your guiding force, you know, that thing that you hold on to the ground you um and that you're able to to utilize as as life unfolds. So for me it's a it's a really big part of who I am and um I will tell you that when when I worked with cancer survivors and um families of cancer patients, I realized what a big part spiritual life or, or religion and their religious practices uh, played in, in their life. And when I was trained, I was trained to keep conversations about religion and spirituality out of it. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was a real turning point to realize, like, why are we not talking about this? Why aren't we allowing clients to share about that? Why aren't we utilizing it as a, a treatment strategy, um, talking about them, you know, going to church or talking to their pastors or, you know, sharing with their community. And, and I found that when I started to do um, the family medical illness work, that it was a, a vital part of of what I needed to do um, to communicate with my clients and help them through those particular challenges. So it was really a turning point for me professionally to realize, hey, I can I can bring these two parts of myself together. Mm-hmm. Um, and and include those kinds of conversations in the work that I do, and in, and now in my work with students. So it's, that was really um really important.
0: Well, it's great when it becomes a natural, organic blending, and it's comfortable in the room because Absolutely. it's because it's naturally part. Like you said, you're blending two parts of yourself together, and then I feel like the client can only benefit when the therapist is in that but, comfort space.
1: But I think it's. It, it also takes knowing if that could even work for your client. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. for us to just start talking about religion and spirituality with someone who's not on that on that plane or who doesn't practice anything or who doesn't see life through those lenses. I think it takes understanding who your client is mm-hmm. to know, hey, I can, I can bring that into the conversation, you know, versus I'm going to interject who I am and what's important to me into this room. Um, so I I do think I do agree. I think it's beautiful that it happened organically for me and that I'm able to do that in a more organic way with my clients and my students. But I certainly take my cue from from the client or the student and knowing if I can even um, bring that up or use that as part of what we're gonna talk about and, and utilise in three months.
0: I'm sure. And I, I wouldn't think any less of a well-trained therapist that you would take the cues and, <laughs> yeah. would, and yeah. be able to do that. Um, well, speaking of, say, the clients that are listening, perhaps, uh, this is my bonus question I give everyone, which is mm-hmm. what do you wish to tell non-therapists that are
1: listening today? So I see non-therapists sort of into two categories. One, one of potential clients and the other category is uh, potential therapists individuals who are out there who are interested in what we do who think they might might want to go into this particular field let me speak to them first mm-hmm. um, I would say as I said before you know the work that we do it's it's challenging it is it can be exhausting which is why self-care is so important and right? I'm so glad that you asked about how we deal with burnout mm-hmm. um, but despite the challenges, um, it is so rewarding. It is so gratifying. It is it it feeds you because you know that you are serving a purpose that is greater than yourself. Which again is why I love Martin Seligman's work, um, because it's about creating that meaningful life. And so, if you feel that you have the innate skills within you um, that you can tweak and train and Manifest and transform into working with others in this way, then I think go for it. Um, yes, it can be a long road to becoming therapists or counselors or psychologists, but it is so rewarding the work that we do. And so don't be afraid of, of the journey and how long it is. And don't be afraid of the challenges, although they are numerous, because this work is just such beautiful, beautiful work. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I would say to the, to the, potential therapists out there and, and to the potential clients, I would say, don't be afraid of the process. Um, you know, creating understanding within yourself and then tuning that understanding into tangible steps for change can be so powerful and empowering and really life changing. And so again, even though the process might be daunting and emotionally exhausting and, and sometimes expensive, um, it is so worthwhile to invest in yourself and to take that step into doing therapy and um, doing the work that you you think you need to do on yourself to have a better life.
0: Well, thank you so much for that. That was really well put. Um, That is the end of our talk for today. And again, I want to thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate it and loved having to hear what you had to say um, and for your perspectives. So I wish you well, luck. Thank you for having your me. your teaching. Thank you. Sure.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Same to you.
0: And take care.
1: You too, Christine. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for joining us on Interview with a Therapist. As always, I hope these episodes both help humanize the therapist and help destigmatize seeking mental health treatment. If you are interested in seeking therapy, apa.org backslash help center is one place to start. If you are a family member of someone seeking help, nami.org can be useful. That's N A M I.org. You can find us on Instagram at interview therapist. Please note that comments or messages on social media are not monitored regularly and is not to be used for any treatment concerns or emergencies. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, please call 911 in your local area or call 1 800. 273 8255 nationally. This podcast does not constitute therapeutic advice or treatment.